Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Women Who Rebrand. This episode is about how to stop sabotaging your relationship and we have a very special guest, Therese Cook. Therese has been a therapist for the last 17 years and has been in a relationship for 14. She understands the traps that we inevitably fall into and the destructive pattern of negative behavior we may exhibit. And she's consolidated all of her experiences and every single tool and strategy that's helped her clients to overcome what has kept them stuck and put it all into her online teachings. Sharice wants to remove your confusion and show you how much power you really have in your relationships, which is why she's joined us today. Welcome, Sharice. Hi, thank you so much, Great to be here. I'm very excited. Yeah. Women Who Rebrand is a UK-based lifestyle platform that champions growth, inspiring women to live authentically while navigating the challenges of modern day life. The platform is home to the self-titled podcast and insightful articles covering careers, health and wellness and relationships. Join our online community at Women Who Rebrand. I'm so excited. So this season, we actually started off with, I think, Helen, who was a, well, is a author of Get Divorced, Be Happy. So it's nice to give a balanced view in relationships. Wow, it's a bit of a (laughs) book. We're not all like, yeah, encouraging people to release to leave their relationships there oh, is yeah. stra- there are strategies we can work on these yes, if yes. relationships are worth saving so i'm really happy to have you on today um we're just going to get straight into it yeah let's do it Therese, tell us about what type of therapist you are and what clients could expect from you um well as a relationship psychotherapist obviously i'm all about the relationships and so um I'm a little bit unusual in that I'm quite directive. I like to ask a lot of questions. I like to get all the details because I'm a firm believer in patterns. You know, the way we relate is a learned behavior. So we're learning from the youngest age how to love, what love means, what love feels like. So um, I talk about love for a living and I love talking about love and I like challenging people about how they can be more loving both of themselves but also their partners because I think we get a bit confused about what love is. So clients who work with me are going to get challenged, I hope, but hopefully also um, in touch with the magic of relationships and the beauty and all the good stuff around love. That's very important to me. I want us to have a positive, excited, sexy view of relationships. Wow. That's actually amazing because I think, so I have worked with therapists before and I've noticed that there's different styles. Some don't necessarily (laughs) like the challenge or even relate their point of view, but it's nice to actually get someone who will give advice and actually say like, you know, obviously you're not going to take sides. Obviously that's not what you're going to do, but to actually be constructive because that's, I guess, yeah. why you've got someone there. Rather than someone just sitting there to mediate, it's good to mm. hear like objective views if that's what you actually do. Yeah, I mean, I, I love doing that. And I have sat in a lot of therapy as well. I've had a lot of therapy. And I always say to up-and-coming therapists, they're always like, oh, what training should I do? Or, you know, what specialty should I do? Whatever. And my, my advice always is, is get your qualifications. But if you want to learn about therapy, 
go to therapy and go to lots of therapy, go to lots of different therapists, because that's where you're going to learn. You're going to learn what you like. You're going to learn what is a bit weird and you don't like. And that's how we really find our identity as, as a therapist. So you're right. There are so many different kinds of therapy. It's actually very confusing at times. And the most important thing about therapy is finding the right therapist that you resonate with and that you get on well with. And so, um, yeah, I think my personality doesn't suit just sitting there and nodding and, you know, mm-hmm. asking, a, you know, one question a session or something. I really want to get in there. I want to collaborate. I, wanna, I really want to challenge. But, um, yeah, and, I mean, I think relationship therapy is a little bit different that way. It is a little bit more... Um, you know, we can say, look, this really isn't helpful. Don't do that. <laughs> Whereas yeah. we, I probably yeah. wouldn't do that with sort of normal kind of um, individual therapy. So there's, there is, there are a lot of different types out there. You're right. Right. So that's interesting. So when you're actually doing your training, you don't specifically train in one area. Is it sort mm. of just therapy as a whole? And then you get to decide what you specialize in? Yeah, I think yeah, right? you need yeah, you need the sort of basis of uh, psychology or psychotherapeutic training. So everyone will mm-hmm. kind of have that. And um and then I think that's what I really like about my career actually is that I did the training and it was all very interesting and um so for example, my initial interest was in addiction. So I then okay. volunteered in um, addiction treatment centers and then they trained me up and I was able to go and do more studying specifically around addiction. But then as I worked there, what um, what revealed itself to me was that I really liked talking about relationships. And I was talking to everyone about sex and love addiction, and I was working with families about all the family relationships. And so as you move forward in, in your career, uh, I think your, your, your specialties and your interests really, really show themselves, and that's what I love. And then you can go forward with that. Or you can segue into something different and keep developing your skills and keep, keep learning. I love that. That's kind of been like the the mantra of this podcast in terms of rebranding. It's not necessarily starting over, but it's kind of taking parts that you've enjoyed or your experiences on the long way, which then help Mm. you to where you are today. So I love it. I love it. Everything leads you to where you are today. Yeah, I love it. Exactly, exactly. No matter if you see it as a failure, I guess, but it's just experiences learned and moving yeah. on and what you do with that. I love that. So yeah. in terms of therapy, if a client mm. had a specific issue, say, um, like you said, sex addiction, um, addiction um, would you have set therapy sessions um in mind like a set amount how long would it take or does it just depend on the individual case I mean I definitely believe it depends on each individual case but I understand that is a bit of a luxury people don't have forever and a day to both attend therapy and finance therapy but um Hmm. I am someone that works quite long term with people so I do like to develop with um, people but you know there is therapy out there and I mean especially something like um, addiction I think there's there's very intense therapy that you do do um, and then it's about maintaining that maintenance is very big in the addiction world and that's when they're 12-step fellowships there are other support groups mm. you know there are things that we can do on a you know daily weekly monthly basis to kind of stay well but um, when yeah. I'm working with um, a, um, a 
um, a couple, I'll often say, let's come in and let's review every few months and let's have some really clear goals. And this is good because it motivates people. It's kind of, okay, what are we going to do in the next three months? You've got, if you can only work on two things, what two things are they going to be? Because people arrive with thousands seemingly of issues and problems and, and, you know, (laughs) things to work on. And then I'm like, yeah. And, you know, and, and that's what I'm like in my therapy. Um, but so then I say, okay, we're going to boil this all down. We're going to work. What two things are we going to work on? And we are going to work. And we're going to work for three months. And then three months, we, let, let, let's see where we are. And because mm-hmm. once we're in the um, process of working and challenging and, and putting effort in <laughs> and knowing how to put your efforts in the right places, that starts building the muscle, you know, the relational muscle that we just all need to learn, which is prioritizing relationship, caring about a relationship, caring about another person's perspective. These things are skills. They aren't really things that many of us have been brought up with. So once we start learning mm. that and start reaping the rewards, then actually people can go away and do really well, or they're like, great, let's move on to the next thing. I really want to tackle this. And it can be very rich, but I think initially just focusing on a, on a couple of things and showing people how to approach things differently can be quite inspiring for people and then what, what they do with that is kind of down to them relationships obviously are hard and okay hands up I um I'm on my second marriage <laughs> I got married very early but had no concept of what marriage looked like yeah. so yeah um, my I was in a single parent family um it was only my grandparents that were married so I didn't actually know what it looked like Mm. so little me was looking at Disney movies looking at Mm. princesses so I definitely had this unrealistic expectation of what it looked Mm. like and then my first marriage didn't work out and um, I'm currently remarried and we have gone through couples counseling because um over the years, we've grown. Like, we got married when we were 27. We're 40 now. And we've changed wow. so, yeah, so course. much. Of yeah. course. And that's inevitable. And it's like, I, I think I read somewhere or watched somewhere where it's like, um, the person you married or the people that you were then are definitely yeah. not who you are now. <laughs> so you yeah. kind of look at marriage like a, ter- a a contract almost and have to mm. renew those kind of terms and conditions. Yeah. But with all that, obviously not everyone knows that. Not everyone does mm. their homework or does the work. So what are the mm. most sort of common problems that people would have and bring to you as um, a relationships therapist? Um, well, they'll come and bring problems, and then I will interpret their problems for them. So, for example, they're, ah, so they don't necessarily right? know what their problems are. Okay, correct. <laughs> correct. It's like, okay, oh, okay. Oh, they think they know what their problem is, and I go, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> "Sorry, right. your problem right. is so." Anyway, so they'll come, and you know, it'll be you know, we can't agree. You know, we don't have enough sex, or you know that she spends all the money and she doesn't think about our future and whatever. So those are the problems. Right. And then couples fight and then they disconnect and then they lose their way. And, you know, they, they kind of struggle to, to be together. So by the time, sadly, people come to relationship therapy, some, a lot of the time it's too late. It's too much time to fun right. under the water. So, so you saying to me, Oh, we've been to couples counseling. I'm like, hallelujah. 
Congratulations. Yeah. That is the best. <laughs> that, that's the best thing you could have you could have done. I can listen to Ruben. I can yeah. see who's had couples therapy and who hasn't. I mean, it's really clear. Oh. Um, so, so it's a really positive thing. It's like the best. You know, everyone should do it. In my opinion, it would just be the best thing. So, um, absolutely. So anyway, there should so, be a so, clause so, in marriage. Yeah, saying you have to yeah. in five years' time. You have to do this. Yeah, totally, yeah, totally. And, and and what happens a lot, which I love as well, is people arrive and they're all disgruntled and defensive and angry, maybe, and don't want to be there. And, and then I have to sort of wrestle with them for a few sessions. And then sort of a few sessions in, they're like, God, this is really interesting. You know, oh, gosh, mm. this is really helpful. It's like, yes, I know it is. And, you know, this the stigma around therapy, I think um, there's so much fear around what it means to maybe go to therapy or what people think it means and mm, it isn't mm. we're, we're we're here to be your friends we're here to guide you help you really help you out in like a tough spot so um i think um Absolutely. yeah so so when so when people arrive people arrive and and they're like they don't listen to me and all i want to do is spend more time together or this person doesn't give me enough space or whatever and um and then i will suggest them us say to them you've got a listening problem you you don't listen you don't know how to listen yeah. and and then it's yeah. very very simple and then it's very simple and it's like okay well we're just gonna learn how to listen let's see where where that goes and because the the, the greater the unhappiness in a relationship the less our ability to listen right we yeah. want to be heard yeah. right we want to have our voice we want to share what's going on for us and the other person does too. And then you've got two people talking at each other with no actual interest in, in listening or, or hearing the other person and then wondering why they're not being heard. And, and so, yeah, so um, I think the first thing is um, often listening and it's also how to stop being so defensive, how to right. be blocking whatever needs to be said or done or changed, how do we stop blocking that by being so defensive? So for me, that is at the root of a lot of couples' problems. Mm. Listening is quite a big thing. And I, it's something that mm. I've never been quite able to explain, but I, I think I got it the other day. Again, talking mm. about my husband. Hopefully he won't <laughs> listen to this episode, so it's fine. But it was the case <laughs> of... Um, <laughs> The words that you're using don't, they may not translate the way that you mean. So if I said you're not listening, Mm -hmm. he's listening to the words, but not the meaning Mm -hmm. of it. So I always say, right, take yourself out of the situation, leave the emotions there, look outside the box. So when I'm saying you're not listening, I think for me, it means you're not understanding the words that I'm saying and my meaning and you're being defensive so you're translating it into a way that you want to understand and then there's that conflict and stuff and I guess that's what you meant about like defensiveness and listening and I think for me I've seen a lot of relationships struggle because of that because there's Mm. no leaving the emotions out of it and you know people get offended if 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 I said you did this I asked you to do this, you didn't do it. And it's just like immediately jumped to the offense. Well, um, you didn't tell me. And it's like, well, I did. Why don't you just answer what I said? Like, just apologize and let's move on. But yeah, leaving, mm. I think for me, leaving emotions out of it has helped so, so much. But it's 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 learned. It's learned. Mm. We're not taught these things, unfortunately. Right. Like you said, 
Yeah, you oh. are ahead of the so game. Every couple... You are ahead of the game with that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a lot of work. I did a lot of work in lockdown. Yeah. I tell you that. We had couples counseling way before. But I was like okay. twiddling my thumbs. I'm like, might as well do some self-work right now. Oh. <laughs> well done. Brilliant. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Definitely interested in the whole psychology of humans. I find it so, yeah. so interesting. Oh it's as much yeah. as we say everyone's kind of individuals. There's a lot of people that are like copy and paste, which oh I find fascinating. Because I'm like, I spot you and I know exactly what type of person you are. <laughs> and they don't know. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Sometimes it's actually depressing how textbook we all are. It's kind of, yes. you know, we want to be Absolutely. these sort of unique. But it's like, actually, our behavior is so predictable. It's almost embarrassing. It's like, exactly. wow. Okay. Exactly right? that. It's it's so yeah. fascinating. So we talked about um, obviously not communicating properly and mm. um, fighting, um, but obviously every couple bickers. But yeah. how do you know when it's too much? It's definitely too much when the bickering has just become habit, and it's become completely mm. normalized as a way. Of, of communicating you know that's what we do instead of communicating is we bicker so you know we need some kind of ratio here you know for every sort of one bicker for sort of you know 10 actual direct <laughs> you know respectful communications or, or something because the thing with the bickering yeah. um is that you know bickering is where you know put downs can live you know disrespect um, eye rolling, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. And, and and if that becomes too much, it actually becomes a bit set in stone. And that is a big problem. And that's something mm-hmm. that I will see with so many people who come to see me is they are just so disrespectful to one another. And we feel really justified mm-hmm. because, as you say, our emotions are involved and we get hurt and we feel misunderstood or neglected or, you know, whatever it is. And so we have feelings and then we feel justified to sort of express those feelings often in kind of unhealthy, unhelpful ways. And that mm-hmm. then just becomes completely normalized within a couple. And so to just be quite mean to each other and be bickering and sarcastic and annoyed and irritable, that becomes the norm. That's when we right. kind of cross the line and we can do well to pull back and be like, okay, hold on, what are we doing here? Because this isn't fun. And, and this isn't love. You know, this is not right. love. Where is the love in, right. in this love affair right now? Because it's just a lot of annoyance and irritation, actually. Right. So what would a healthy relationship look like? I think a healthy relationship in, in, in one word is just relaxed. Mm. It is when we are relaxed with each other, you know, we, are very, we become very tense in our relationships. Because we're so vulnerable, you know, biologically, that, 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 that sort of plays with us. You know, we're not in our tribes anymore. We're not in our villages. We don't have, you know, 20 people, you know, around us or whatever. You know, it, us and our partners, we're the, we're the tribe now. And, that, and, and that's a lot of pressure mm. on someone. So there's a lot of vulnerability that we're bringing. And especially if we've been hurt in the past and there's pain. And, I mean, that's all of us, right? So we're all coming mm. to relationships kind of vulnerable, you know, wanting to be loved wanting to be accepted you know these are core human needs so the vulnerability is so great we are often in a state of fear and then fear mm-hmm. activates the nervous system you know in extreme we go into fight flight freeze 
and we are not relaxed. We are the opposite of relaxed. We actually feel kind of unsafe. It's this weird thing that biologically we, we, we don't feel safe because we're not, you know, feeling, feeling looked after. We're not feeling heard. And so I always work on this idea of reducing the fear, reducing the defensiveness, trying to calm the nervous system so we can be relaxed with each other because when we're relaxed, we are patient. And we can listen and we can be tender. We can be playful and flirtatious and enjoy each other in all sorts of interesting ways. You know, that's when that happens. And so being relaxed is actually quite rare in this world, I think, being relaxed with someone. But walking on eggshells, being irritated, being fed up, all of that sadly quite common. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that plays a part in how people are raised? Um, as in, you know, a lot of people can be defensive or walking on eggshells. It, 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 we did a podcast last week about um, narcissistic um, relationships and we were right. talking about how a lot of people kind of, it was nature or nurture kind of thing. We were discussing mm. that. So in terms of relationships, when you see problems, do they sometimes stem from childhood experiences? Mm, definitely and those that's part of the pattern that I'm always very intrigued to explore because also Mm. we're going to project in our relationships today what we expect and what we've experienced in previous relationships often relationships when we were little so when I'm with a couple and maybe they're arguing or they're experiencing hurt or difficulty sometimes I do just say to them a stop we've got two young people here really upset and scared and sad and what do we think is kind of going on and because I would have done a history with them and explored with them their childhood and their sort of relationship history I'll say you know this I wonder what it was like for you to you know have a parent that was alcoholic and how would that have brought some warmth into your relationships and trust and calm or you know when you were sent away to school you know, that is an abandonment. And now it seems that anything like an abandonment feels very frightening for you now. And, you know, we have to recognize, yeah, we are taught and, you know, there are formative years for a reason. You know, they, they, they form the way we're going to see the world, what we expect from the world. Like you were saying earlier, looking to our parents, what were they doing in their relationships? Were they in relationships? Were they not? Were, were they bicker? Were they happy? Were they relaxed? Or were they tense? All of that we learn, you know, we just absorb all of that. And then we just sort of have that on repeat in our lives in certain ways. And um, we, will, we, will, we will choose people to continue and perpetuate that pattern. But we'll also behave in ways that evoke that and create that in our lives as well. And that's what we have to be very careful of, very, very careful of, because mm-hmm. a lot of clients will be accusing their partners of stuff that isn't completely accurate there might be a shade of that going on but actually what 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 they're talking from is they're talking from their wounds their trauma their upsets their previous experiences whereby I expect you to let me down and everyone else has and so Mm. you I'm feeling like you are now and the other person's like I'm right here with you you know and they're like no you're letting me down and so again you know the past comes into our present a lot for sure that makes so much sense because, um, again, I was um, 
in a single parent household, but I was an only child as well. So growing oh. up, <laughs> I was I was the lonely kid, but I, I had fun on my own. It was fine. But then I yeah. kind of brought those feelings into my relationship. And it's like, I feel yeah. lonely, but he's like, yeah. I'm right here next to you. I'm like, yeah. I'm still, I just, I feel lonely. Yeah. I'm not getting what I kind of want from you, if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, the whole breaking the cycle, gosh, it's like, wow. like you said, it's like everyone brings all of their trauma, all of their stuff yeah. from their parents, from their child, from, from previous relationships. Mm. And it just keeps on going. And like you said, you it have does. to be really conscious. Yeah. Um. So again, kind of bringing that into relationship that goes into the whole attachment styles. Mm. Could we kind of discuss attachment mm. styles because some people have never even heard of this concept and I again I find it so fascinating wow oh, attachment is amazing I mean I am attachment based in how I work so attachment is, is okay. key for me and um I okay. mean the great thing the great thing about attachment theory is that it does what it says on the tin right so there are there are there are four kinds of attachment there's secure attachment which obviously is great and then there is insecure attachment. And in insecure attachment, there are these three attachment styles. There's anxious attachment, which, again, speaks for itself. There's avoidant mm-hmm. attachment. And there's fearful avoidant attachment. And um, so, yeah, so I think it's really, really useful to identify that um, it is um, a it is on a continuum, so we can have we can sometimes have, be a little bit anxious in our relationships. Sometimes we can be a little bit avoidant or whatever. But I think it's really really useful because it does speak very powerfully to how we relate to others and how others relate mm-hmm. to us. And um, it can really really help us give us give ourselves a little bit of a roadmap about how do we move forward because it can feel so baffling and overwhelming in relationships, can't it? When we're struggling and we just can't figure out why what what's going on. Mm, mm. and I guess that's why people would possibly leave a relationship to continue that cycle in their next one because they haven't kind of acknowledged the behavior and changed that behavior Mm. so do you think that's why some women kind of continuously choose say unavailable people Mm. Definitely. As an emotionally unavailable, not like in relationships, or they might be, but specifically like emotionally unavailable. Definitely, definitely. They will have experience of having had, I will always say to them, who was the first emotionally unavailable person in your life? And often it's a parent, right? So it's Mm. kind of, it's it's really, you know, it's a learned behavior. We, We learn this is what relationships are. This is what people do. People focus on, you know, their work, they are focusing on the other kids, they are, you know, chasing other partners or whatever, you know, and as children, we learn that we're like, okay, I'm not that important. Um, You know, um, this person isn't, my parents not available to me. And then that, that's our pattern. And then we will absolutely grow up to sort of do that. And that would be part of an sort of um, an anxiously attached way of relating where there's a lot of anxiety in relationships because we're always wanting more. We're always wanting more from people. We're always yearning for a connection that we just never got when we were super young. And that's still the case today. You know, we're still wanting that. We always want that. You know, as animals, we want that connection. And if we didn't get it, it's a big wound for us. And we are then 
in our adult relationships looking to fill that wound and kind of heal that wound but the ship has sailed you know kind of the our childhood experiences have happened and our adult relationships are going to be slightly different you know they're not going to be the same as a parent-child relationship so what we expect and what we hope for has to mature when I'm working with people we sort of try to mature our expectations and our understanding of adult relationships that whilst being mindful that we can try to heal these younger parts of us or be there for these younger parts of us that are still hurting and still trying to make sense of what, what happened. Wow, it's so deep. And like you said, <laughs> someone could just come in because they're like, he's not listening to me. And then you've unpacked yeah. all of this and they're like, oh, oh okay. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah that's it, right. Maybe he was, but... Wow. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's Gosh. just one small example. I think it gets way, it can get so much even more in depth and complex. And that's why it's really interesting. And as you say, to become conscious of what we do in relationships, I think is, is the really interesting work, but it's also really painful, but it is so liberating because the vast majority of what we do is completely unconscious. You know, we are not aware mm. of what we're doing. We're not aware of why we're doing what we're doing why is that a big deal to me but it wouldn't be a big deal to my friend or why you know does this upset me and why could I not care less about that but when that happens I'm really upset you know why 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 there will be a reason and in order for us to know ourselves and to help ourselves grow becoming more conscious working on our awareness really can help us be like okay I understand myself and that in a way goes a long way to healing the wounding and the loneliness and everything else is, hey, I know myself. I can be here in my own life more clearly because I I, I know what's going on for me and I can really bring compassion to myself in these moments when it feels scary or upsetting. Wow. That's so important. And I think for me, Mm. when I was going through the couples counselling, what my personal breakthrough was learning to be confident on my own so I was going in saying I feel lonely I want to do more things with you and it's kind of placing that expectation on my partner to give me that to make me feel whole but what I learned was I can actually do that myself I can go to the cinema myself I can take me out to dinner Mm. I can enjoy my own company and that definitely gave me the strength that I needed to work on the marriage because I wasn't placing all of my needs on him. Yeah. That's a great example, a little bit of how we sort of view things a certain way and can end up sabotaging ourselves because what a lot of us Mm -hmm. do is we set our partners up to fail. So we have, Um. we have our fears, right? We've got all the things that we expect and we imagine in our hurts that we know from our previous experiences, consciously or unconsciously most of the time. And Mm -hmm. so we will put things, we will lay things at our partner's feet and accuse them or want them or, you know, criticize them or kind of whatever. And it's kind of a no-win situation. You know, they're not going to... You know, a lot of um, partners will say, I can't win with you. I don't know what you want or how much more, or, you know, all of that. But if, if we expect to be let down or hurt or disappointed or rejected or whatever, we will set our partners up to sort of do that and then be like, I knew it. You know, here I am again, feeling this way again. And we perpetuate the cycle, you know, we just keep going with it. Wow. 
okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So is that... <laughs> be my own therapy section but yeah. no it's, yeah absolutely yeah. it's like again kind of that you know a, a, a guy might say she's constantly asking constantly nagging because I'm not giving her what she wants but she's not saying what she wants and yeah. then obviously she's like I am actually saying but like you say he can't deliver because there's just yeah. that unrealistic expectations going on yeah and the stuff that oh. they are delivering we're just like oh no I don't want that I want this very specific <laughs> thing like exactly <laughs> I this didn't way. Want those shoes <laughs> yeah and, yeah and then, so that's so it's, it's like a big shift away from that lack you know, I think for the, you know, we all come from this place of wanting, right? And, and often there's a lack there and the lack dominates, you know, and then we move into it's never good enough mm. territory and, you know, we're always let down and, and there's enough societal, you know, narrative around, you know, how, you know, men are useless or trash or, you know, whatever and women are annoying and, you know, impossible to please and all that, you know, we fall into these mm. tropes. And actually, we need to be careful because it just does feed into a lot of our painful patterns that, that are about our emotions and how we feel, which is important and valid. But it doesn't mean that those feelings are facts. And it doesn't mean this person doesn't love right. us or they're never mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. meet our needs, etc. It's kind of like, hello, wake up. This, this, and this is happening for you. You're secure. You're calm. You've got someone that respects you, is really into you. Let's focus on that for a little bit and see if that helps actually develop something that feels stronger in us and that's more adult in nature in terms of a relationship. Absolutely. And I guess that goes into kind of um, love languages as well. Like Mm. for me, my love Uh, language can be completely (laughs) different. And if they're not doing what I feel is love, immediately I might be like, well, they don't love me then. So why am I bothering? Why am I in this relationship? That's so again, it. it's kind of That's reading it. those contracts. Well, what does love mean to you? Yeah. That's right. Oh, we could That's go on right. for years about this. We, we, we could, we could. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you are in a committed relationship and you really want to make things work, but mm. you feel like maybe things aren't working, it's felt negative for a while, and maybe possibly you think that you do have kind of negative attachment styles what mm-hmm. red flags could you look out for for not only your partner mm-hmm. but yourself to kind of get a grasp of what's going on yeah I mean this is going to sound really counterintuitive and um but I think we need to not over focus on our partners I think that that is the mm-hmm. biggest issue with, with all the in, insecure attachment, right? Over-focus mm-hmm. on the other person and, you know, the blame game. And whilst it's extremely important to be noticing our partner's behaviors and their attitudes and how they speak to us and how they treat us, you know, let me be really, really clear about that. We don't actually know what is on offer in a relationship until we are kind of on a level in the relationship. And what I mean by that is, is we are arriving at the relationship kind of adult, confident, having boundaries, making requests, knowing our worth, etc. right? And mm-hmm. in that way, we start sort of seeing what's possible when we ask for what we want. Not demand it or nag it or kind of criticize it, but just be like, hey, I love it when this happens. And 
it'd be great if you know um you and i could speak every week to just talk about some house admin stuff so we can just stay on top of things or we can start making requests and we start actually living in more of a solution a lot of people get very comfortable in the problem and it's problem 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 and you know they've got a they've got a problem for every solution and i will always challenge people and i say is, is is this part of the problem or is this part of the solution and they'll be a bit like oh i don't know and like the solution is if you if stuff's happening in your relationship that you don't like how can you communicate that in a loving and constructive way what can you do to um protect yourself so maybe you need to put some boundaries in and look at your expectations look at your emotional boundaries make sure that you know you aren't exacerbating things with fault finding or fighting or nitpicking or anything like that and then over time let's see what what happens because relationships are a dynamic and so we are participating in that dynamic if we stop doing certain things the dynamic will change and then we can pay close attention to what comes back if the other person starts also improving their 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 behavior i just think it's a really really useful thing because when we start over focusing on the other person and it's all about the other person we are lacking insight into what's happening to us and often we're disempowering ourselves we're going into a very uncool kind of victim position and then you know we're not in the solution we are in the problem and we're also now you know feeling sorry for ourselves and really upset and you know, the other person's the enemy you know we we demonize the other person that's a massive mm-hmm. trap to not fall into be like okay hold on this i'm choosing to have this person in my life if i'm doing that that means i choose to be in a relationship with them that means i i've kind of got to be respectful i've got to treat them like you know someone that i care about if not love at this precise moment and but how do i be respectful how do i stay on a level so my behavior doesn't denigrate my self esteem doesn't go down i'm going to keep my self esteem high i'm going to make requests i'm going to have appropriate boundaries i'm going to be cool and calm and friendly and nice but i want to see if you can meet me in this in this place and then i and then we sit back and then we wait and we see what comes back and that i think can bring a bit more balance and a bit more equilibrium to situations because when we fall into the victim then we're we're just going to fulfill the cycle because as long as we're the victim someone else is going to be the villain and then we're on a highway to nowhere with that one. Ooh. And I guess the next steps for that if you were in that position and still wanted to make it work couples counseling to mm. I don't know yeah. try and fix things. Do you think that would be the next step? I mean obviously I I think couples counseling is amazing but couples counseling is really amazing on the rare occasions people turn up like really keen to do the work. <laughs> and so you know that you know that have to be keen to yeah. do the work. <laughs> well, well, well I can, I can literally say to you now that mm-hmm. th- that is very very rare that 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 both people are one person is often very very keen and the other person is often very not keen and sometimes actually quite against it and that's okay because mm. that's what happens and i really you know i then have to work on engaging people and motivating people but ultimately i can't do it for them so i think mm. couples therapy yeah couples therapy is really great if there can be a degree of willingness from both people and that requires a degree of humility 
to sort of be like, okay, I've got stuff to work on, but that doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. It just means I want to grow and I can, you know, challenge myself and stretch myself. So I think, yeah, couples therapy, I would definitely encourage people to go to because it is good. It is a very humbling experience and it really helps us stay focused on trying to create love in a relationship. I think a couple that's struggling if they lift their own devices, I think it's just going to become devoted to a bit more of a war, <laughs> more more mm. war, less love. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad when that happens. Yeah, definitely. That kind of reminds me of that. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, War of the Roses. It was one of my favorite movies as a kid. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> a kid watching War of the Roses. And yeah. end up obviously um, at the end, not very good ending, but I absolutely love that. Just the, the way yeah. they were fighting just was crazy. But yeah, yeah. that kind of, yeah. that's what gets in my head when I think of really bad divorces, really bad endings. Yeah. But people can also stay like that and they can stay married in these oh. really un- unhappy partnerships. And I think, yeah, there's, 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 there's so much unhappiness in, in the world of relationships. That's why I'm so passionate about getting the word out online and everything because 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 if you've watched your parents fight your whole life and they mm. never got divorced and they never separated, you know, it's very, very, very likely you will do the same. Mm. That would so, just be yeah. the saddest thing. I couldn't imagine yeah. anything worse. Just you get one shot at this, which I think, yeah. or, you know, I never know. But mm. just to stay with someone that you just don't get on with forever yeah. and then you have kids and your kids observe mm. that and then that's what they do and so it goes and on and on and on repeating that it's, cycle yeah repeating that it's, cycle. it's sort of it's sort of one thing us doing it but you know we will have learned that we are now repeating it we'll be miserable we teach our offspring that love isn't is about being miserable and and that's that it's um it's mm. so powerful if we just take a step back for a moment and just sort of look at what we're doing it's sort of it's it's really it's really important for us to start noticing these things and taking responsibility i think for what we're doing absolutely i think there's still quite a lot of stigma around divorce though because i've heard um couples say you know we're kind of together for the children they mm. wait till the children either turn 18 or move out or go to college um how could I guess women or you know I, I say women because the podcast is aimed at women but how can mm. people be less fearful of starting over if they've got children mm. well I think recognizing that your, you know, I mean, there's so much pressure on mothers anyway, and this is unfortunately more pressure, but I think just recognizing that the relationships we have are going to be the relationships that our kids go out and have when they're older can really inspire us to to do what needs to be done. And whether that means, you know, working at it, because, yeah, a lot of people do stay together for the kids, and my message to those people are, well, Get, get on down to therapy and do the work. Don't just think staying together is doing anyone any favors because, yeah, we are literally teaching our children this is what adult relationships look like and, 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 and they're learning it and, you know, that's, that's what they probably learned from, from, from their parents. So I think 
it is a burden, but it's it's an I think it's an important question we can just ask ourselves is what would I want my son or daughter to do if they were in the situation I'm in now? And that we often have a lot of clarity around that. Oh well I'd want them to go. I wouldn't want them to stand for this for one minute or no, I'd want them to see that it's actually okay, but just to stick it out and you know, that helps us see the wood for the trees. Um it's very difficult because obviously our children love both their parents and we don't want to break up families. But I think looking at the relationships and the quality of the relationships must be our guiding factor. It's really important that we can show our children, you know, a relaxed, loving, kind relationship. And if we can't do that with their parent, we can do it with someone else and model that to them. I think that's... Mm that's part of parenting and it's a big part of parenting that we perhaps don't always realize absolutely or realizing when it's too late yeah wow yeah and then you watch your kid do exactly the same as you do there's a certain kind of pain in that yeah sure Yeah. yeah Yeah, And even as you just said that, I'm kind of looking back at my childhood and kind of previous um, marriage and I'm like, wait, hold on a minute. <laughs> um, that's why I did. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's yeah, so obvious when you look yeah. back. But like you said, we're not yeah. taught these things. But um, yeah. yeah, that's the reason for this podcast. I just really want people to think. But like you said, yeah. I, I, for me when I was going through, so I've done couples therapy, I've done personal therapy, you know, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm quite nosy in the whole human psychology. But <laughs> when I was faced with some questions, because I had issues with people pleasing, long story, mm-hmm. um, but it was always, okay, well, would you tolerate that behavior if someone was doing that to your child and I'm like absolutely not and it's in a heartbeat and it's like you know you can think about that so quickly but not necessarily for yourself and it's so important to have that love and respect for yourself because that is the key Mm. to just everything absolutely Mm. so I I love the fact that you you touched upon the fact you know would you want your children's relationships to look Mm. like yours are you the role model because you are essentially and that is so important that is it really is yeah I know it's it's huge it's huge it's a big challenge for all of us to keep it tidy Mm -hmm. keep it respectful keep it kind Mm. Women Who Rebrand is a UK-based lifestyle platform join our online community at Women Who Rebrand that's going to um, be how they um, relate. Yeah. So unfortunately, not everyone will do the work. <laughs> so mm. if 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 you have this level of understanding and, you know, you want to give that positive role model to your children, but unfortunately your ex um, mm. hasn't got that way of thinking, are there positive ways of co-parenting with an ex who mm. isn't? in that frame of mind yeah well absolutely and I think that's really important because the children are going to need one person to um, Mm -hmm. represent you know personal growth curiosity accountability responsibility um, ownership it is rare for two parents to have that even in you know in sort of any kind of a, a relationship but that is important and I think if if we're dealing with exes that are toxic or 
or difficult or whatever, the danger is is that we'll get sucked into that and then we, mm. our behavior also then, you know, reduces and becomes problematic, right? And then we feel justified because of what the ex is doing and everything else. And um, that's when it's really important. We've got to hold our boundaries. We've got to be really self-contained and be like, who do I want to be? Because, yes, I can blame the other person and it is very understandable. It's extremely painful and difficult in co-parenting with a partner in the, in the home or separated or divorced is not easy by any stretch of the imagination. But I think it really is testimony to the kind of parent that we want to be. It's like we are parents and we've got to think about what kind of a parent am I being here now? How am I showing my children how to do life? How am I teaching my mm. children how to conduct myself or themselves in difficult relationships and challenging circumstances where there is pain? How, how do I do that? So it really calls upon so much courage and so much strength, inner strength from ourselves to do this because we have to, well, we don't have to, but it would be great if we could show them yeah this is what self-esteem looks like and this is this is how I conduct myself and because I will say to my clients you know we are answerable to our children those children they're going to grow up and at and at some point they're going to say why did you do that why did you let dad do that or why why couldn't you have been nicer to dad and let him come to my birthday party was it was it you know was it so hard for you that I couldn't have my you know we are answerable to them and we need to think mm -hmm. about what are we going to say? Oh, well, you don't understand. You know, he was being so, you know, impossible. Well, that's your child's father. And sort mm -hmm. of creating these boundaries in our mind about, okay, I'm going to be this parent and this is my child's parent. And that is never going to change, never, unless something horrendous happens and then it's a custody issue and, and all of that. But if, if mm -hmm. your children are in relationship with, with their father, which we, I guess we ultimately do want as long as it's not abusive, we've got to figure it out. So we've got to be clearly, there needs to be clear demarcations about how can I allow my child to have the best possible relationship with their father or their other parent, and how do I stay sane, calm, loving, and who I want to be so they always have a parent that they can come to and talk things out with and know did right by them and know have their back. Mm, absolutely. I'm guessing it's, well, not guessing, it's probably more difficult for people that were in abusive relationships. How do, mm. you, how do you balance that? So obviously, as a female, if you've come out of an abusive relationship and you have got a child, you know, not mm. everyone can afford to go through family court. Now everyone can afford to get a barrister yeah. and to be treated fairly. Yeah. So some couples are just left to do it themselves. So how do you co-parent mm. if you have come out of a, a, a really abusive relationship, whether it's emotional or physical, but you kind of still want your child to have a relationship with that parent because, you know, you just may want to do that because, you know, they may not have been abusive to the child, but they yeah. still want that connection for their, their children. How can you do that? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, I, I don't know if there's an, there's an easy answer for that because it's really, it's mm. really, really complex because mm, mm. The, it, it is, there the, will be child protection issues in there for sure. Um, but I think 
we obviously have to really just monitor the sort of the safety of our children and if ultimately it is a safe situation and they want to have the relationship which which they often do i think we can do our best to 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 facilitate that but i would really recommend bringing in the strength of ourselves and our friends and our families to really have a strong hold of incredibly healthy role models for our children so they are getting a lot of input about love mm. and respect and care and family and you know being there for for each other i think this is when we've really got to call in the troops big time to sort of um to sort of give the strength to manage this quite complex relationship in the best possible way and sort of for the children to really feel that they are surrounded by love because how their relationship with their um abusive parent might develop that's something that we've always got to look at there's always going to be a big big safety net and i think for um mothers or other people who are in these abusive relationships we need people that can hold us and support us and see us through for sure yeah it's like that saying it takes a village yeah to raise your children yeah definitely 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 mm-hmm. and it's often in those situations when we when we can isolate ourselves or feel overwhelmed and we've just got so much to do or we are secretive or whatever and we've got to sort of go against that and really invite people into our lives to support us to support us and our children and 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 people want to yeah i think that's what's so important is that we all want to help each other we all want to help and support our friends and family and loved ones raise their kids and i think more and more there are a lot of um adults who are not biologically related to children that are getting more involved in the raising of children and i think that's really beautiful and i would encourage that as many people as possible as many influences in a child's life as positive you know positive influences hopefully in a child's yeah. life they're really really going to benefit and they will they will have a perspective that will really help them deal with their difficult parent as well you know and they'll have a lot of support yeah. and other people to help them through that as they grow yeah amazing um so if you have come from you know a negative relationship or you've sabotaged it to death or whatever um and you haven't rekindled that friendship or that respect um with your ex-partner and you've mm-hmm. essentially gone into a new relationship how do you or should you discuss this with your new partner should they be oh, aware gosh, yeah. because sometimes you know I've heard stories like, oh, I was, my ex, they were horrible, blah, 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 and you have, you know, yeah. they've just bad them to their new partner. And for me, that sends yeah. red flags. But what if it's genuine? Yeah. How, do you warn them? How can you discuss this? I mean, I think those are really quite serious and private sort of aspects to ourselves. And I absolutely think that we should share them with, with people, but I think we should share them with people when they've sort of, and the right to hear it. You know, I think at mm. at at the beginning we can become these oversharers and go into too much detail about ourselves. And there are lots of issues with that. And one of the issues is, is that we're often portraying ourselves maybe in this kind of oh gosh, I've got this whole big messy situation, you know, and that's what you're going to be getting with me and I really hate that. It's much more mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. go on dates focus on each other focus on learning about each other for sure and talk about your kids and you know anything else like that of course and that you do have an ex and it's complicated or yeah it's not always easy or you know some phrase that can sort of be picked up on later 
But yeah, I think it's really important to establish relationships on new terms the way you want from the beginning and then create a bit of a foundation, a good solid foundation. And then when you're sure that you really like this person and that you really maybe even love them and they're going to be part of your life maybe for the foreseeable future, that's when you can come in and just start sharing a little bit like, oh, sometimes it is really, really challenging. And actually there is a bit of a story here that is really hard. But I think I like this sort of autonomy and the individuality away from a big toxic relationship that just went wrong. That's not our identity. That's not who we are. We are really going to try for that not to be who we are moving forward. So I think it's healthy mm-hmm. to have a little bit of distance and to then share it with people in a very detached, cool way when we know we can really trust them and that we're sort of happy that they will probably be able to support us. Mm-hmm. Gosh, she must have just learned so much just from clients and yeah, oh my God, all 100%. the stories, everything. Yeah. I can't even yeah. imagine, honestly. It's yeah. like probably yeah. I've heard things from friends and that's probably bad enough, but you're just every single corner of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so many things. Yeah. What's the main things that you've learned from being a relationships therapist? I think um, the main thing that I've learned is is that we all are really focused on our own perspective. We're very um, plugged into what we believe, what we see, what we imagine, and all the all the fears and hurts and everything from our history and from our story. We are we are in our own little bubble all the time. And I think that's the most important thing that certainly my therapy tries to sort of burst in a way is this is this bubble of of self and our own often sort of our big fears because when when I'm working with people you can see when they're trying to engage with each other and they're trying to talk it's like what 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 people are saying to each other is going through so many filters of our insecurities, of our past experiences, of our fears, of our projections. And we're just in our own perspective. And it's very, very hard to do really important relationship work, which is empathy work, when we are Mm. so um, fixed in our own perspective. You know, and I think we, we don't realize how rigid we are. We can sort of be very inflexible in our views and our take on things and what's happening. And, you know, when I'm working with people, I really seek to sort of help people be more flexible and to do the empathy work of understanding I am 100% allowed to have my perspective and so is the other person. And actually it would be so amazing to get curious about each other's perspectives so we can actually learn about each other and teach each other. I think I, I love doing this with clients teach each other how to love each other. This is what it's like from my perspective. This is what it feels like sometimes. So love for me, if you can do this for me, that is literally heaven on earth. And when you do this, when this is happening, that is hell. You have that, the pain of that is so huge. I know you don't understand that, but for me, it's like a kick in the guts. Please, can we try and not do that? I love it when you do this and, Suddenly we're like, oh, wow, oh, my God, well, of course I don't want to hurt you, and of course I want to, you know, we, we are in our bubble of our own perspective, and we, and we lose out on so much as a result of that. We're sort of we're desperately wanting people to love us, to cherish us, to connect with us, 
but we see things a certain way and we're so sort of rigid in, in our perspective, people can't get in. People can't get in. So, and the other person is, is often the same. And so this thing of bringing down our walls and bursting the bubble and figuring out how to let each other in because we want to let each other in and we can do that. I think that's what I've learned. You know, the hardest thing is to let people in and to drop our defenses and our perspective and, and, and try to be a bit more relational in our attitudes to each other. Mm. It can be scary, though. It's like that vulnerability oh equates to yeah. weakness. You don't want to come across as weak, but you're allowed yeah. to be weak in front of your partner. Like, yeah. what's the worst that's going to happen if you're For obviously sure. in a loving we, relationship? Yeah. Yeah, well we've, well, we've survived so much already. You know, that's the irony. It's kind of, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want this to happen. I don't want to be betrayed. It's like, you got through it. You survived. It's okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think if we can if we can focus our efforts on sort of trying to make a relatively good choice in partner, you know, I think it's inevitable mm-hmm. with our attachment styles, we're going to be attracted to certain people. But it's that, you know, but not someone that's so extreme in their behavior. Mm-hmm. Let's just try and not make it quite so extreme. So there's just something to work with. Not totally <laughs> unavailable, just kind of ava- unavailable sometimes. You know, we, that's, that's yeah. progress. You know, that's, you know, I yeah. think, you know, there's a sort of idealistic sort of idea. And, and therapy played into this, you know, a few decades ago of, well, well, you're still going for your type. Why aren't you going for someone different? We're always going to go for our type. It's just accept mm. that. Certain people are going to, we're going to find attractive. We're going to attract certain people. That's inevitable. But let's just, you know, try to not go for the total, total extreme and end of the spectrum where there's probably not going to be a lot of movement. It's like, let's just choose someone that's a little bit of a bad boy or a little bit unavailable or a little bit, you know. <laughs> uptight or controlling or whatever you know and then we've got a little something to work with you know that's what we can yeah. endeavor to do i think yeah yeah gosh so it's it's a lot it's a lot yeah and i'm sure as a as a therapist this i don't know is it emotional for you when you hear some stories and just oh my god yeah. i don't know how do you make sure that you don't carry that emotion with you i just it doesn't um, stick. How do you get it off? Yeah, it's um, it's a really important part of being a therapist. I mean, I do. I mean, I love my my clients dearly, and I'm really with them on the emotional journey. But um, I think um, I think you know the hardest things to um shake off is when there actually isn't any movement. When I'm working mm. with people, and if and if it's and if it's tough for them and it's painful, you know, I get it, and it's and it's hard, but but because you're sort of making even tiny steps forward, it's it's rock and roll, you know. It's this is it. We're doing the right thing. We're moving in in the right direction. It's when one or both parties are so rigid and so fixed, and there's no movement, and you sort of see a relationship sort of come to an end before your eyes and you sort of think kind of this person could just could just you know see their perspective a little bit or if this person could just be a little less um distrusting you sort of think god it's so simple on some level but you know humans aren't simple it's 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 really hard i think that's what is sort of emotionally challenging is sort of accepting accepting that people a lot of people won't change um you know relationship therapy you know a lot of people need it not a lot of people want it 
and mm. accepting that and and that is I think the hardest thing for me but as a therapist you know you have to learn over the years to have boundaries to accept people where they're at have you know unconditional positive regard for clients so all of that helps it sort of helps me in my life and in my relationships it's kind of you know acceptance you know tolerance mm. you know powerlessness these are things you have to these are facts of life we we can't control other people and um the more we accept that the the better we will be so it's been a tough lesson over the years but i do accept that there's only so much that i can do and you know of it's course. not um it's not on my time frame or or timeline of course so i'm guessing you obviously you have certain boundaries with clients um and i found you honestly because i you came up on social media which I guess 10 years ago, that wouldn't have even been a thing. My therapist was on TikTok or Instagram. (laughs) But I think it's amazing because you're given, you're given like additional resources. It's like that 3D care. It's all around. And I think that's really important as well. If you're going through therapy to do um, outside work, take home with you, not necessarily take homework from your therapist, but yeah, Mm. books, podcast there's so many resources and I think that's part of why I loved you as well because you you just share so much which is amazing but there's that thing of like um on your own social media someone can just Mm. drop you a message or whatever and Mm. I know if clients do that do you have certain boundaries in place so clients don't overstep that mark yeah, definitely. I mean, it's always an ongoing conversation and it has been interesting being putting myself out there online so much because normally I'm just tucked away in an office somewhere and that's that. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, I think what's sort of interesting is, I mean, what's fortunate is that it is a professional account and I, I don't mm. sort of post my own life or my sort of, you know, private details or, or whatever. So I find that very boundaried in itself. I'm okay with that. It's my professional account and I'm sort of being a professional on it um what's sort of interesting is to notice that um, some of my clients actually really love it and they follow me and, and exactly as you say they're getting you know tips during the week just reminders you know they're seeing my face they're like oh god yeah Sharice I better carry on with my work or kind of whatever <laughs> and, it, and it sort of really kind of helps them and, and they love it mm-hmm. and then I've got other clients mm-hmm. who are like oh my god I saw you on Instagram I literally couldn't believe it I, I rocked I don't ever want to see this person again because no! it, was just too, it was just too much for them to to see right. me online which I, which I totally get as well I totally get I totally get so it's just I think we're all coming to terms with this public world that we're living in now I mean you know my therapist whatsapped me the other day and I saw a picture of him on a holiday or something on his whatsapp profile I was just oh, like oh wow. my god this is too much information <laughs> um but then but then you know it's the world that we live in now so I think um the boundaries that we have to have to sort of have you know are kind of ever-changing but um mm-hmm. I sort of feel like I just keep my sort of professional sort of stance and that feels very very comfortable for me so I'm kind of used to it now fab fab so where could our audience find more about your work um find you online and watch all your supplementary resources yes well I mean I'm on Instagram that's the best place to catch me kind of daily uh, teachings and reminders and that's at Sharice Cook which is C-H-A-R-I-S-S-E-C-O-O-K-E 
And um, I also have loads of free teachings on my website, shrewscook.com. I've actually created a whole therapeutic journey that people can go on on the website where I literally teach you this is about relationships. This is about attachment theory. This is about our childhood. It's about family roles that we play. These are the patterns we can fall into. This is how we break the patterns. Here are some emotional regulation skills. I really take everyone through it. I've got articles and videos and journaling prompts. and It's all there, all for free. So that's um, a really great place to go to to sort of really um, do some work at your own pace if that's what you'd like. Fantastic. I'll be sure to put um, all the links on the write-up of this episode with a blog on womenwhorebrand.com. Thank you so much, Cherise. I have just enjoyed this and I'm like <laughs> mentally storing things. I even wrote some notes on that. <laughs> I'll mention that later. <laughs> Thank Love you so it. much. Yeah. Honestly, oh, I'm going to be sharing pleasure. some more information online and on our socials so everyone can um check you out but thank you thank you thank awesome. you so much I loved take it. care thanks so much Sarita. bye you're welcome bye